Where are the snows of yesteryear? I think we all know the answer to that question. They're in yesteryear, damn it. Is this thing on? This is Big Green. Episode of This Is Big Green featuring Ned Trek 6 or is it Ned Trek 7? Feels like 7. Could be 8. I'm not sure. I've lost count. Can't keep track anymore. I'm gonna play a couple of songs and let's see. Can't even think of the titles. Where's my script? Matt, damn it, you took the script when you left. Oh yes, I'm going to talk to Matt. Um, we've recorded that as well. <laughs> so you'll be hearing quite a bit from us this this fine January as we try to sober up from the holidays. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome to This is Big Green. Glad to have you back. First show of the year. Glad you could find us. Sometimes it gets a little bit challenging. Our um, web service uh, company is uh, less than completely reliable. I will withhold their name. <coughs> gotcha. <coughs> um, a couple issues there. Don't know what. Maybe we didn't pay the bill. I don't know. Um, maybe that's the same reason the lights went off in the mill this past month. I don't know. It's funny how if you don't give people money, they stop giving you things. Perhaps we've joined the 47%. Forty-seven percent of Big Green is, well, they um, feel entitled to food, health care, you name it. That's us. Anyway, now we're going to hear a song off of our last album, International House. The name of the song is Volcano Man. Volcano Man, a cautionary tale. Listen carefully. If you want to see the lyrics... Go to our website, posted for your convenience. Here it is, Volcano Man. You can if you believe, you can, you can, you can, you can believe. You can if you believe, you can, you can, you can surely believe.
that was Volcano Man. Hope you enjoyed it. And now this. This is Lee Majors. Last week on Mr. Ned Trek, Captain Romney and his trusty crew of neocons tried to use the space-time portal to get to the Daniel Boone show. Instead, they ended up on an amazing outer space world where their very thoughts were transformed into a deadly reality. With help from a wily old space pirate, our heroes managed to save the situation and get transported back to the ship. It sounds contrived, I know, but it's good too, so stay tuned. Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the Starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. So, 
in exchange for the rights to mine whatever minerals we like, while using whatever hazardous experimental and or chemically intensive mining technique that is cheapest and most expedient for us, we will agree to cede to you the exclusive rights to store our mining waste in whatever way you see fit. And you can do it without any consideration for your own people's health and safety. <laughs> it's not like that radioactivity can affect you anyway. I mean, you're already horrible blobs of alien goo. And, you see, <laughs> we believe in <laughs> freedom. Now, all we need is your leader's pseudopod print on the dotted line, and we're good to go. Now, let's see. Which one of you is the leader? <laughs> Probably that purple little guy in the back. The one that's gesticulating wildly. <laughs> My gosh, he's ugly. Captain, wouldn't it make sense to turn on the universal translator during these negotiations so we could actually understand what the exploded ads are trying to say? <laughs> no, Mr. Sulu. The Confederation has learned that these types of negotiations have a much more favorable outcome when we refrain from using the translator. It is well known that those contraptions have a liberal bias. I think the Earth Heritage Institute has even done a study. Besides, I can understand these subhuman creatures intuitively. They may just be blobs of protoplasm, but they can just smell the jobs coming their way. And indeed, here comes another job. But the Splodidads have no sense of smell, Captain Sir. See, <laughs> Mr. Sulu, you're using your own intuitive senses right now. I myself sense that a promotion may be in the works for you before the decade is out. Um, sure. Actually, sir, I read the computer readout on these beings before we beam down. They communicate via subtle changes in color on their outer membranes. Purple translates as expressing a negative opinion. <laughs> well, fortunately, the Confederation doesn't take an alien's color into account. Instead, we think of them in terms of the value of their character, and of course, the value of their resources. It turns out that the exploited ads have been appraised at three-fifths the value of an average Confederation citizen. <laughs> and that appraisal was provided by impartial intergalactic marketeers, like the Halliburton Space Cabinet. I think you lost me back there. Well, there's no time to organize a search party. Time is money, and I have to get back to the ship to make a log entry. I'm need a free enterprise. Lieutenant Sulu and I are ready to beam up. We've got a fix on you, Captain Willard. But try not to wiggle around too much. Mr. Welsh is drunk off his ass again and wearing a dress. So that may be for cultural or ceremonial reasons. And you should know, I'm not exactly sure how to work this transporter control council. Maybe you should wait until Engineer Welsh sobers up. I'd rather not be transported inside a bulkhead or something. No time for that. I've got urgent business and duties to do on board. We'll just have to trust our own indestructibility as non-red-shirted regulars on the show. Ned, commence beaming. Okay, here goes nothing. Oh, I don't think this is working right. We seem to be getting some kind of post-production interference with a molecular beam. I... Let me take a look. Ah, uh, look at the wee lights all spinning away. I think that there may be a problem. Wow. 
Wow, that was a rough beam-up. I wonder if I'm okay. Wait a minute, my uniform is slightly more ornate now. And just look at these crazy shoulder braids. Wait, Ned, you've got a beard now. And someone has taken a stencil to the transporter room door. <laughs> is that supposed to be a wacky tobacco leaf? Of course I have a beard. It'd be stranger if I didn't have any hair on my chin at all. I am a horse, you know, Willard. Hey, Mr. Pearl has a beard now, too. There seems to be some kind of disturbing beatnik trend developing here. Could be worse, I suppose. Thanks, daddy For a minute I thought you were going to go harsh Herbert on us and spoil our buzz. Sorry about the rough beam-up, Captain Willard, man. Well, she went and chucked on the control panel. I had to cross-circuit to B because the A-circuit was like all kinds of gross, man. So, Captain Willard, does the Splorda Dad Collective agree with our plan to provide them with regular shipments of relief supplies? And the 125 years' worth of reparations? Man, do they ever deserve it. The first Confederate ship that made contact with them set up a real bad scene, subjecting those dudes to abject slavery and turning the whole planet into a secret prison complex for outworlder enemies of the state. Legend has it that that Confederate ship hailed from a parallel universe, one where up is down, right is left, and good is evil. Well, I guess that up was still up. So that's why we really have to make it up to these people now. We have to show them that the Confederation is compassionate and not obsessed with corporate profits and maintaining a hegemonic empire. <laughs> wow, all of that would be going against our subprime directive. I'm not sure what's going on here, but I know that no Confederate officer would ever spout such blasphemy against capitalism. Honestly, this just can't be our free enterprise. In my opinion, it's the same cheap set with just a few decals applied to the doors. Of course, anyone with a few sheets of plywood in a drill can duplicate this whole place in about 20 minutes. No, I think this must be another universe, coexisting with ours on another dimensional plane. Similar drunk Welshmen in both universes threw up on similar transporter control circuits, and that forced us to become transposed with our counterparts during the act of beaming. <laughs> it couldn't be more clear. Wow, my mind is like totally blown. But wait a minute. This can't be a different universe. That spot over there, beneath the Quasar poster. I dropped acid there a year ago. Uh, and then, again, the other day. Had it be the same universe for us, Mr. Pearl. Just not for the two that got beamed up. You hopelessly beautiful freak. Gee, if we were ever here in this universe, I wonder what's happening back on our free enterprise. Our counterparts are probably asking the same questions about their wardrobe and about the erratic and perplexing behavior of a clean-shaven crew. Man, I just love to get stoned and listen to these guys talk. <laughs> hey, I'm going to get some beer nuts out of the munchie synthesizer. Does anybody else want something? Putting alcoholic beer inside of defenseless nuts. What'll they think of next? Mr. Sulu? I think that we have to consider putting this entire alternate universe crew on report, on account of these illicit activities. But if your theory is correct, and this is an alternate universe, how do we know that their activities are actually against the law? I mean, here in this universe, they may be worthy of commendation. That is a good point. And if I want to continue to lead these people, then I might be wise to adopt some of their unpalatable attributes— 
What I need is a special antimatter coach, an advisor, if you will, someone that can guide me through my personal transition process. Luckily, sir, you've got some considerable experience recruiting core belief counselors. I have my principles, and if you don't like them, I've got other principles. Hey, comrades, I just got off a birthday subspace telecall with Ho Chi Minh. Honestly, he's the nicest guy I know. I mean, some of the things he comes up with, they're just out of sight. Vietnamese nationalism, it's something that we can all groove on. Does anyone want to try some Sagittarian hash? If so, meet me in Rock Room 5 in about an hour, or sometime within the next three days. I finally found that water pipe that Stashman Liddy made out of a hand phaser. Wow, the Dixon android has quite the beard. It's easy for him. All he has to do is not shave for about 45 minutes. Captain, the Splurdadad delegation are waiting in the cold down there. We should at least commence beaming down some blankets for him. But Ned, you know that our people in the biolab need time to come up with a virulent enough disease that we can spread on those blankets first. That is, before we send them down to the planet. <laughs> oh yeah, this is part of that alternative universe culture shock. I keep forgetting. Okay, I think it's time we try to reverse the transporter accident that happened here so we can get our own captain back. I mean, he was pretty useless too, but at least with him there was 50% less genocide perpetrated. Yeah, killing people, and even aliens, is so wrong. Even if there are gazillions of tons of valuable minerals lurking under their feet, or if they happen to live near strategic shipping lanes, it's much better to party down with all beings and to sing and dance, and also to, to dance in love. I second that, Comrade Pearl. I know that there's not a person in this galaxy that I'd rather firebomb than call a friend. This is a personal preference of mine that I try hard to live by. Put your hand in the hand of the man that still the water. The logic of wasted opportunity for profits, Mr. Ned. You should adopt a strict form of social and economic Darwinism. Survival of the fittest and natural selection in the marketplace. That should be paramount. I guess maybe that's why we're at Paramount Studios right now. <laughs> Anyhow, that's the only kind of Darwinism that you should subscribe to. The kind that has monkeys and chimps eating bananas and then turning into suburban commuters has been thoroughly discredited. No, the idea is to get the least fit people out of the way. Let the mutants and weird space aliens die naturally so that profits for loyal, red-blooded confederates can be realized and safely deposited. I put it to you that your current confederation is based on a socialist system that cannot endure. <laughs> I mean, who in their right minds, perhaps maybe the one true lord, would ever want it to? Mr. Ned, there's a device in my cabin that can make you the undisputed ruler of the ship and perhaps of your entire confederation. What, do you mean your lava lamp? It is pretty cool, man. I mean, like, it would make you the boss of me. No, I'm talking about the captain's bank book. Steal that bank book, Mr. Ned. Find a reason to turn the planet's exploited arm inside out with the most intense resource extraction possible. See that you yourself... Put no more than a pittance down on the entire scheme, and then invest all the Confederate pension funds that you can corral, as quickly as possible. <laughs> and then with no risk to you, you can just sit back and skim off the cream. I'm sorry, Captain. What were you saying again? I was concentrating on coming up with a formula to get the transporter to 
exchange you and Mr. Sulu with your antimatter counterparts. And I don't mind telling you, it's really hard. I have to somehow recreate the conditions that existed before, and I still haven't hit upon the correct sequence of variables. Wait a minute, Mr. Ned. Engineer Welsh was puking his guts out on the control console right before the original beaming. Um, yuck. I, I guess we'd have to recreate that somehow. I could probably manage it. So far I've been holding back vomit in every episode of this show. No, it has to be Mr. Welsh. He'd have the proper negatively charged ions in his puke. The positively charged ions in yours could interfere with the process and could conceivably overload the system. It might even destroy the ship and our entire universe with it. Yes, but I'd make it out okay, right? And the normal free market supply-side Uber-Randian universe would still be open for business, correct? Theoretically, Captain, but I strongly advise against it. No time to waste, I'm afraid. I still have to make an urgent log entry. Mr. Sulu, commence puking on the transporter control circuits. (coughs) Mr. Ned, commence energizing. Yes, sir, positive universe, Willard. Here goes nothingness. Wow, it'll mean the Mayans were, like, totally right, and only off by a couple of centuries. Fellas, done with your alternate universe exercise drill yet? I could use some assistance, man in these here controls of yours. I fear we must be parrying a storm of the worst proportions. So far, every hand that I set up the mast or to change the topsails have been lost to the space equivalent of Davy Jones's locker. You're just sending their hands up there? <laughs> just hang on tight, Captain Murdoch. We're just wrapping up our drill down here. We'll be up there in a jiffy to sort out the dead. Okay, men, take your beards off and put them back neatly into the Alternative Universe Emergency Drill Box. Mr. Nixon, sir, you can just hand me yours if you like. But I already put mine in the box. Do you mean that I drew another one already? Yes, sir. Your five o'clock shadow seems to be set at eleven o'clock. Do you have a dedicated switch to reset that thing? Yes, but I assure you that you don't want to know where that is. Captain, I found this drill to be especially hard. Hopefully you'll be grading us on a curb. I mean, it was difficult to get into playing such an over-the-top, feckless character. Oh, I just got someone's discarded hippie sideburns stuck on my shoe. Get them off! Get them off! Since we've been holding these drills based on commonly occurring science fiction plot lines, we've done a lot to hone our space wits and our ability to throw the right toggle switches in the event of a real emergency. Hey, we should do a drill for the plotline that we all get old. And how about a Nazi one? Yeah, we should really get that Nazi one down. (laughs) We'll see, Mr. Pearl. I think that I still have the Nazi uniform that I had in college. When the trooper uniform wasn't getting enough of a rise out of the gays and communists on campus, I'd slip into it and start taking down names, or handing out yellow stars, pink squares, and green clovers. Hey, you were giving away my lucky charms. Okay, folks, it's time that you all return to your posts and relieve Captain Murnock. 
As for me, I'm going to relieve Captain Romney as soon as I can find the space can. I think we may already have the actual transition music to dub in here. Oh, oh, yes, we do, Mr. Yes, sure we do. Captain's Log. Getting kind of personal here, but it's about 3275.6. And don't worry, we're talking millimeters, not inches. And also, (laughs) no need to fear, we haven't switched to the godless metric system. The Confederation believes in liberty, and to prove it, we're going to stick like crazy glue to the British King's system of measurement. Yes, you'll have to pry our yardsticks out of our cold, dead hands. I even use mine to kill the occasional small varmint. So in other news, we've taken back the running of the bridge from Captain Murdoch, the amiable businessman and space pirate that we met in the last episode. It's taking us a while to untie all of the ropes that he rigged up around the bridge, <laughs> especially the one that deadlocked the navigation system. Our chief engineer is trying his best to sober up and reverse engineer that amazing knot. <laughs> you should see it, it's huge. For Christ's sake, Captain, this knot is so tight. I've never seen anything like it. It's like a square knot that's been merged somehow with a granny knot, except the wee pony has been led around the wagon twice without going back home. I cannot loosen it. I never came upon anything like this back in Cardiff. Why don't you take a face to it, Mr. Welsh? We've reinstated open carry law since the alternative universe drill ended. Those antimatter space freaks can't appreciate the feel of power and majesty that you get when you know you're able to blow a huge hole through a body, or for that matter, through bow plates. I mean, sometimes an officer doesn't have the time to look around for a door. I just send a few men down to detach the ship's rudder, then find yourself a fortuity star in the heavens and start to wish it. Ye may wish your misfortune to disappear and your good fortune to manifest itself with all due haste, me matey. Arr. Captain Romney, sir, if we don't regain navigational control, we're going to enter the planet's atmosphere in approximately 21 minutes. Mr. Welsh, <laughs> I guess we're all counting on you to get through that knot so we can avoid being burned to a crispy crisp. Oh, I'm still trying, sir, but so far I'm making no headway. Where did you get the line for these ropes, Captain Murdoch? Well, sir, we pulled them out of the belly of these here space chest of yours that so far as I could see are doing nothing but cluttering up this futuristic bridge set of yours. Most of the stuff I found in there couldn't be used for nothing. It's no kind of treasure, I tells thee. Well, I heard... That's titanium fictitious cable. They're made from the strongest fibers in the universe. Well, at least for this week. There's no way that we're going to cut through those lines. They're even impervious to hand phasers. Captain, my first assignment was in shuttlecraft deck operations. Why don't I go down there now and make sure that all is secure and, um, that no splinter darns, uh, that no splinter darn saboteurs are, um, saboteuring away down there. <laughs> now, Mr. Pearl, I think when that time comes, I'm the most qualified to carry out that duty. But you can help me move my belongings. I believe there might be just enough room inside our only shuttle to fit my full collection of solid silver Pez dispensers. I certainly wouldn't want anything to happen to them. Well, I'm glad to see that you're writing us off already. 
Thank you, Mr. Ned. <laughs> I am beginning to get used to the idea of learning to cope without all of you at my side. I really think that I will be able to get on with my life and learn to be happy, and most probably extremely happy. Why don't we just see if Mr. Murdoch could untie the knots? After all, it was him that made them in the first place. Arr, I'd like to help you. Honestly, I would. Good, Sir Horse. But I'm afraid that I never learned the part about how to untie these beasties. The class at the nautical knot-tying school was a large one, and I admit that pirates aren't known for their good attendance record. Captain Romney, one thing we're not considering is how this will look to the Splitted Ed Collective on the planet below. When they see us erupt into a massive fireball, won't they think that they have pulled one over on the Confederation? We might even be inadvertently providing them with some leverage at the bargaining table, or whatever it is that blobs of protoplasm do, uh, plop down with the next Confederate representative that comes into this sector. You know, you might be right, Mr. Crisp, I mean, Mr. Pearl. What do you suggest that we do? Well, to stop the militant wing of the Splitted Ads from claiming that they targeted and destroyed a Confederate vessel with their undeclared stockpile of weapons of mass destruction, we should hit them hard with a preemptive strike. I think a burst of photon torpedoes would teach them a good preemptive lesson. But there's no such thing as militant Splitted Ad. Their whole culture and even their physiology is suited only for extreme pacifism. So they are extremists. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Sulu. That will look good on my report. I think that this time we can make sure that some of the caches of weapons are found among the debris of their main city, or hive, or whatever they call it. I can't quite believe what I'm hearing, and I can venture to say that I am shocked. It sounds like the two of you are plotting to destroy an entire civilization and get your hands dirty at the same time. Don't you have a space equivalent of the CIA to take care of little problems like these? These creatures, these splitted ads, as they are called, have real potential. Potential that can be utilized. I mean, yes, we should utterly destroy their ability to sustain a viable state economy. That goes without saying. But once they are completely dependent on us to do everything, including wipe their noses, we need to... Actually, Mr. President, they don't have noses, though maybe they themselves resemble something that has come out of someone's nose. They also don't have mouths or hands, which makes it even harder to justify keeping them around. I mean, they can hardly make running shoes or iPods or even man call centers. We could rig up some kind of general sonic mood wave combobulator. If we broadcasted that around the planet, we might get one half of the Splitted Ad Collective to kill the other half. <laughs> that would stop them from getting too cocky after our ship blows up, that is. <laughs> which reminds me, Mr. Welsh, how are you proceeding down there with that knot? Captain, a sailor's knot can be untied just so fast. If we cork it too much, the cable is likely to whip backwards and hit one of us right in the... Oh, my glory. <laughs> well, I'm open for suggestions. Does anyone have a novel way out of this predicament? We could send someone outside of the ship. They could crawl along the impulse deck to the navigational sensor array. From there, they could access the manual controls. That way, we'd completely bypass the bridge interface. But the manual control is only meant to be used when the ship is in space dock. No one's ever done that on a ship in open space, let alone one that is in such a low orbit. We're practically scraping the planet's atmosphere now. Surely this would be a suicide mission.
Looks like we'll need a volunteer for the death mission. Let's see a show of hands. Why don't we send Captain Murdoch? I mean, it was his crackpot seamanship that got us into this situation in the first place. Ned, I'm sure that you understand we can't send a man of Mr. Murdoch's years to do this kind of suicide mission. And he's a prominent businessman that I will no doubt continue to have a lucrative and mutually beneficial relationship with for many years to come. No, we must choose someone that no one cares about. How about you, Mr. Pearl? Well, sir, as you know, this kind of selfless act would be completely in keeping with the way that I've always led my life. I think that I can say that I am a hero in every sense of the word, but my brand of bravery is based largely on compelling others to push themselves beyond normal endurance. And reason for that matter. I think that you can say that my battles are fought with a pen and with my carefully selected words on TV. I'm a hero enabler, and I welcome your gratitude. <laughs> and I can say that my usual battles are fought in the laboratory, not in interstellar space. Why don't we send Engineer Welsh out there? He's not making any headway on cutting through that titanium rope anyhow. You could just roll a bottle of whiskey out there on the hull and he'd go chasing after it. What kind of whiskey are we talking about? What in heaven's name is that? Did we just back over the trash cans or something? No, sir. That was the sound of the hull impacting on the planet's ionosphere. I can hardly wait to hear what it sounds like when we hit the sploid of darn mountains. Hull temperatures are beginning to rise. 1,000 degrees and climbing. <laughs> You're not saying that you'd really go out there, Mr. President, sir, are you? Well, I am the most able physically. Mentally, I am unsurpassed by those I see around me now. I now have an aptitude for electronics that surprises even my own neurocircuitry. Oh, yes, and I don't require oxygen or a spacesuit. I remember once bringing that up with the crew of Apollo 11. They didn't understand, but they smiled with respect, and they all enjoyed a little joke. They're all gone now, all those men of the moon. Arr, yes, Nixon be the one to rejigger the navigation array. I reckon he's got my vote, and as far as I'm concerned, that be plenty enough to ensure a good electoral margin. <laughs> That's good enough for me. Ned, outfit the Nixon android with a space toolkit and show him to the nearest hatch. Aye, aye, sir. Mr. Pearl, go to my ready room and retrieve my ditty bag that contains all my personal grooming supplies. Meet me in the shuttle bay. <laughs> I fear things are not going to go well up here. Captain, my first, uh, uh, I mean my second assignment was as a hair technician, and it looks to me that some of your primary, uh, herozoidal follicles are in urgent need of attention. I think that I just might be able to save them if I start working on them within the next ten minutes or so. Hull temperatures are now 2,000 degrees and climbing. I estimate five minutes before we burn up, sir. Actually, sir, I think I should start working on your hair in five minutes. I mean, this is an emergency. Sir, someone has opened up the shuttlecraft bay doors. Captain, we just launched a shuttlecraft. Yes, Mr. Silvio, that was all part of the plan. If it looked like our efforts to save the free enterprise wasn't going to pan out, then me and my most priceless belongings were going to leave this Vale of Tears via our only shuttlecraft. Mr. Murdoch and a chest of his space booty were, of course, coming with me. Arr, I prefer to call it me arse and not me booty, Captain Romney the Buckle. 
But, Captain, you and Mr. Murdoch are still here aboard the Free Enterprise, and the shuttle U.S. Rumsfeld has already left the bay. Well, that was all part of the plan, mister. <laughs> Except for the part with a lifeboat leaving without us. Captain, that explosion and fireball was something hitting the planet's atmosphere. Was that the U.S. Rumsfeld, Mr. Pearl? What is your analysis of the debris? Oh, no, not the science station again. We really need some more officers on this show. Okay, here it goes. The analysis of the uh, fireball thingy and the debris field shows that the object was of insufficient mass to be the U.S. Rumsfeld. Hey, well, I'll be. Further readings indicate that the mass was comprised largely of freshest metal, primarily silver, sir. My solid silver Pez dispensers, and it took me weeks to track down the whole set. Each one was in the shape of a different Latter-day Saint. The sacred Pez that they dispensed was in the shape of holy texts. This is truly a disaster. Captain, the shuttlecraft is still intact. She's maneuvering around in front of us. Wow, there's going to be hell to pay for a certain officer, a horse, and a tin president. I'm ashamed to say that I've never been to a real court-martial before. You don't suppose we can manage to convene it now, before we're all seared to a crisp? Free Enterprise, this is Lieutenant Commander Ned. I just hitched a chain to the navigation dish, and I'm towing you out to a higher orbit. No need to thank me. Saving your sorry asses seems to be developing into a bad habit of mine. Oh, and Willard... I had to jettison your cargo. It was the only way that I could get this shuttle to steer properly. Captain, the Rumsfeld is doing it. We're being towed to a higher orbit. We're out of danger now, sir. Thank God. I just want you all to know I'm a changed man now. After having seen the face of death and it being my own, I, I now realize the value of life and most especially mine. I'm no longer going to do anything that might jeopardize this irreplaceable me. Hey, so what's up? Are we still going to blow a hole through the Splendid Ed Collective? I mean, they can't claim that they destroyed us now, but they don't know that we don't know that. Ned, you've just earned your sack of finely shredded plastic oatmeal replacement. It tastes slightly more like real oats than your standard pile of shredded plastic. Mr. Ned, what about the Nixon android? Did he survive to take another fall for the team? Uh, or, or do I even want to know what he looks like now? As soon as he walked out of the emergency hatch and stepped onto the front of the saucer section, his tritanium feet fused to the tritanium hull. He was stuck fast and unable to make it over to the navigation array. It was then that I got the idea to try to use the shuttlecraft to tow us out, and I forgot all about Nixon. My guess is he must still be out there, probably looking pretty silly, hanging from his toes in outer space. Wow, it's like the Free Enterprise has a Nixon hood ornament now. I imagine that now the rest of the fleet will want one. My wife Anne had one on each of her Cadillacs, and I had a Checkers the Dog ornament on the roof of my car. <laughs> no, that's right. It was an actual dog. You don't suppose he could still be alive up there? Or, I mean, still functioning? Well, if he did, we'll have to stop at a starbase and hose the whole saucer section off. Do you think they'd charge for that? Free Enterprise, prepare to receive me. Good news, Mr. Ned. It looks like we can take the cost of those Pez dispensers out of your pay. 
But aren't those things insured to the hilt like everything else in low Romney orbit? Yes, <laughs> of course they are. But we'd be doing this more to teach you a lesson. You're still garnering my wages from when I lost the Olympic dressage horse competition and from when the original Mr. Ned show was canceled. Just how much blood do you think you can get from this turnip? Speaking of which, you didn't jettison my barrels of turnip juice too, did you? Cancel my request for opening those bay doors. I'm going to Rio. The planet Rio. If you do, you really will be court-martialed. Rio is a planet where the devil owns several of the casino cities. No Confederate ship is allowed to land on Rio. If they do, they invite the death penalty. But interestingly enough, at the same time I was legally able to receive campaign contributions from there. Sorry, Willard. You're breaking up. I think you said to go investigate the planet Rio. Well, I'm on it, sir. Roger that. Mr. Ned out. Arr, I'm not ashamed to say that I've laid anchor there a few times over the years. It's not the worst place to try your hand at investing in unconventional stocks and so-called live commodities. They also have a treasure trove of Pez dispensers. I'll be there for the taking. And if ye be man enough to risk the wrath of God and the spoils of pleasure. I'm not quite sure what he's talking about, but let's go. Very well, gentlemen. Mr. Sulu, lay in a course for the planet Rio and do it as quietly as possible. Warp factor three. A nice, unobtrusive, and quiet speed is warp factor three. <laughs> aye, aye, sir. Nelson's. Let's hear a selection from our Vault of Curiosities. This is a demo recording of a song that we had on our album International House. This is me and I believe Matt, but mostly me, playing a song Johnny's Gun, apropos of our current debate over firearms. Johnny's gun is about someone who um, decides to take the law into his own hands and is excoriated and then vilified and then canonized. And you will see, once again, lyrics on the website. Go take a look. Here it is, Johnny's gun. Johnny got his gun, so he dropped the bomb. He brought it Now 
hey, yeah. <laughs> Making it a little dark there for a minute. He must be in a dark mood. Oh, oh, oh. That song is called Oh Oom. Oh. Not to be confused with Varum, which was one of our hit records. Varum, good and plenty. And good and plenty. And, <laughs> and good, good and, and fruity. And good and plenty. I always thought of... Uh, and Mike and Ike's. <laughs> I always thought if Tim Pawlenty ran as somebody's running mate, it would have to be someone named Good. He'd so be running away from Mr. Good. Good and plenty. I'm no Mr. Good bar, Joe. Mr. Uh. Good. So, Matt, how are you, Matt? Welcome. Uh, I'm I'm terribly fine. <laughs> Welcome to January uh, yeah, that's 2013. Right. January. The new year has turned now. We're in this bizarre science fiction futuristic date of 2013. <laughs> We've arrived at the science fiction future. Yeah, no. It's like, where's, where's your spaceship, Joe? Where's my jetpack? My jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a terrible science fiction future. That's all I could say. It's the suckiest science fiction future anyone could have imagined. <clears throat> That's a big suckle topless. I know. I try to think back to all the things I imagined, you know, the year 2013 would, would look like. Well, we passed so many science fiction dates, too. We passed 2001. We passed... What 1997. Was... <laughs> and Space 1999, Joe. We passed that by what? a long shot. That's right. On that other stupid Arthur C. Clarke book, 2010. First, 1984. Oh, yeah, we blasted by that a long time ago. <laughs> yes. And 1932, we went past that. Ah. 1932, beginning of Futurama. Uh. <laughs> yes, yes. All things to come. Things to come. I'm not sure when that came out. It was like in the 30s, I think. <laughs> Do you remember that movie, Things to Come? The guy with a tremendously huge helmet. He had the biggest helmet I've ever seen. And their conception of uh, futuristic flying contraptions were just like airplanes with like a whole bunch of wings and propellers. <laughs> it's like a yeah. plane with like a hundred propellers on it. Well, think about it. It's like they <clears throat> did. They didn't. They didn't think in terms of jet engines yet. So it's like no. things would be just more complicated. You know airlift devices of the type that was available at the time that was amazing amazing anyway we didn't quite arrive at that future no we haven't gotten there yet i'm a little disappointed yeah i'm a little bit more than a little disappointed i'm very disappointed very disappointed indeed kind of more in a post-apocalyptic hellscape now yes it's coming closer closer to reality laid out before us sectopia yeah, we look at the political landscape. Very terrifying. The so, Joe, did you survive the fiscal cliff? The political Whoever landscape. Whoever this fiscal cliff dude is. <laughs> fiscal cliff. Yes. Just call me fiscal cliff. <laughs> fiscal cliff, hero of the South. I'm economic Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ergonomic Clyde. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, that was uh, a bunch of baloney. Yeah, well, that's brinksmanship. Brinksmanship. 
And, you know, massive tax cuts. Yeah, I'm good to hear about <laughs> I'm not sure I heard it on somebody's podcast or something. They were playing a quote from, like, Tom Brokaw. They were <laughs> saying that, well, while making, you know, $250,000 in the city, that that isn't very much, really. So, so you're just middle class if you're no, making that much. So you, It's hard to make ends meet. Yeah, well, you know, you have two kids going to college, and that's $40,000 each, and you're sending God knows who to soccer practice or something. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ. Just because everyone he knows makes at least that much. <laughs> well, he can't imagine making that little. That's, a, that's yeah. the problem. It's like because he looks around, you know, his his sphere. Right. Well, plus, the he, says, he doesn't care about us anyway. It's like, you know, it's, we're hardly the greatest generation. Yeah, <laughs> to it, him, we're the, <laughs> we're, the, we're the suckiest generation to him. Yeah. yeah. We're the cheapest generation. We're the throwaway generation. Well, plus, no one was ever talking about raising taxes on anybody making $250,000 a year. It was always more than $250,000 a year. So what are they talking about? It's like, yeah, yeah know, okay, if those poor people... And and I noticed that exactly. the the concept of a millionaire has been somehow expanded to people making a million dollars a year. It's like when oh, did no. that happen? Yeah, yeah. clever. <laughs> I mean, you can be a millionaire clever. and make fifty thousand dollars a year on your interest, you know, or on your investments, and you can make fifty fifty thousand dollars a year on your investments if you don't invest them properly. Okay. Yes. Thank you, thank you, shit, Romney. Thank you, shit. Uh, meanwhile, they're you know gonna they're gonna pull the the Simpson and Bowles. Simpson yeah. And Bowles. Yeah. Now that they've cut taxes on everyone up to four hundred thousand dollars a year, or four hundred fifty if you're a couple, because God knows four hundred fifty just gonna... barely makes ends meet. Um, they'll th- raise the they'll raise the age of when you can start receiving social security to like 70 years old or something yeah sure they'll they'll make janitors work longer because lawyers are living longer Uh, yeah exactly and and if they do that with with like medicare that's about the stupidest thing anybody ever thought of because Uh, i know right the least expensive people are the ones on the lower end so they're going to get rid of the people who are who are paying the most plays into into what they want to do because that will yeah they want to they want to break it that old thing. They want to put the lay the charges underneath the bridge that is Medicare. Yeah, they've pretty much already done that. Yeah. Just by not expanding it. But, you know. It's, it's lemon socialism. Lemons. It's lemon socialism. It's all lemons, it's Joe. It's lemon. So do we have a song to introduce? I don't even know because we didn't like record anything. So are we going <laughs> to pretend we know what we're doing? Or we're going to introduce a song. It's called Insert Name Here. That's a good name for a song. Yes. It's called Grangerfernan. Grangerfernan. Just, <laughs> just cover your mouth when you say the name of the song. It's got an artist. It's called Blue Blue Blue. Mr. Blue. That was the Flintstones, right? Mr. Blue. Was it? Yeah, there was a. There was an. Episode yeah, where, I'm sure, Mr. Flintstone. Well, well, he was like, he, he was pretending to be some kind of like foreign man of mystery, and his <laughs> name was Mr. Blue. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. I'm afraid my memory of the Flintstones is not what it was. It's almost as if that was from a prehistoric time. <laughs> Although I was just talking about Bam. But Matt, they were the modern Stone Age. I was talking about Bam Bam with somebody just yesterday. So. That's because I was t- I was telling him about your hunter from the future and how how the beginning of that movie starts out with Rep Brown in a caveman loincloth like running through the mountains of Spain with a big Bam Bam club. I know. Well, anyway, so did we introduce a song? You might want to check how far we are through this so you could plug it in here. Okay. It's like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. We can introduce a song. What do you want to hear, everybody? I want to hear... <laughs> oh, there Damn ya. <laughs> Dang ya. Well, here it comes.
that. That was different. That was reasonably good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Yes, we're mailing it in. Yes, we are, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's the uh it's the January hangover. We uh, made rather merry last month, I'm afraid. <laughs> that Saturnalia that we brought you over the podcast medium. Um yes, it's it was lukewarm. Left. We we have left ourselves. Did we have any any response from the Christmas podcast? Only one. Oh yeah, well two because I had one too. So oh well, let's what hear was yours. Yeah. No, you go first. No, I insist. <laughs> okay, there was only a remark that it, they thought that during the the play, the um, the Hermie and uh, Charlie in the Box play. That all of a sudden Hermie turned into Susan Stanberg, <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, <laughs> it kind of did sound a little bit like Susan Stanberg. <laughs> and they kept expecting him to start talking about his cranberry relish re- <laughs> yeah, recipe, or something. <laughs> which would have been kind of a good Christmas hook too. Take two, <laughs> like oh my god, take two quarts of cranberries. And I'm sorry I didn't bring that email. Oh, it must have been lost. I lost my email as well. <laughs> as well. It said, turn it down the radio. That's what it was. Yeah, it's turn, a, it, down turn it down the radio. radio. Was it Tim? <laughs> no. Because it was actually him that somebody said that to. Once. What? No. Yes, it was. It was Tim. No, it wasn't oh. Tim. <laughs> but that was Tim who had that said to him once by... Okay, well, what was the email, Joe? The email was, Dear Big Green, turn it down the radio. (laughs) Signed, I am Anonymous from Outer Space. It was from Anonymous. It was from Anonymous, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like this. (laughs) (laughs) It had a Guy Fox mask on. (laughs) It had a Guy Fox mask, and and it sounded like... uh, Or a Gee Fox mask. I'm not sure which... It was wearing a gi. <laughs> it was wearing a gi. It had a Guy Fox mask. <laughs> and it talked like this. And this. it sounded like... Well, we have... <laughs> we are the Metro. <laughs> we are the Metrones. And it sounded like the Metrones. Yes. No offense to Anonymous. Chris, <clears throat> we, we have... We have a mere podcast. Now they're going to sabotage our podcast, Joe. I'm sorry. I hope you're satisfied. Yes. Well, it's, it would be well within their capability to do so, seeing as <laughs> my websites <laughs> and podcasts get sabotaged by the incompetence of my of the server company. Oh, <laughs> now you've done it. They suck. I'm sorry. Now they're going to listen to I'm this, I'm not talking Joe. about Anonymous. I'm talking about Dotstone. I know. They're going to dumpster or whatever they're called. <laughs> as they long as they dumpster? get their dime out of me, they can suck they shit. Call... They can suck my ass. <laughs> oh. All I can say is, oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Mr. Pearl. <laughs> Actually, I was hoping that we'd be able to have an interview with, uh, with one of the characters from uh, Ned Trek. Can we still do that? 
Which one? Well, I don't know. We can talk to Mr. Pearl. I don't think one thing's for sure. We better not interview Captain Murdoch or Mr. Ned. <laughs> or George Takai. <laughs> Probably not George Takai either. <laughs> How about Nixon? We could interview Nixon. <laughs> Just don't give him up. <laughs> Just don't give him up. <sighs> oh, who died this this month? Oh, dear Abby. <laughs> she's like a hundred. I know. I thought she was dead already. They said that she was like uh, had Alzheimer's pretty bad. I just wondered what was her advice getting like in the midst of her Alzheimer's. <laughs> Stop giving advice a long time ago, <laughs> dear Abby. Advice. Dear Abby. Is that an actual song? Yes. Is that Jason's new song? No. <laughs> That's. I'm John Prine. Oh, okay. Sad, dear Abby. Did anyone else die, John? Discourage, discourage. You have no complaints. You are what you are, and you ain't what you ain't. So listen. I don't know that one. Buster and listen up good. Stop wishing for bad luck and knocking on wood. Sad, dear Abby. Anybody else die um, that we know anything about? Let me see. Well, who the hell did die? Oh, somebody died. <laughs> a lot of people died. Oh, I don't know, but our podcast is terrible, Joe. It's all about death <laughs> like and destruction. Standing around saying, oh, this, who died? I this don't know. show stinks. <laughs> and you know why? Let me tell you why. It's because we don't think about what we're going to talk about until we start talking about it. Yeah. We are really phoning this in. No, we're not good. Don't listen to any more of this, please. It's given us a bad reputation. And Matt's wearing a guitar that says the Descendants and the Vandals and the Donnas. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to say the Donnas. Now the, the whole Donnas. world is going to end. Oh, no. It's a stolen guitar, Joe, okay? It's stolen. I stole it from a magpie. I love stolen. It's a delicious treat. It's a delicious, delicious beverage, Joe. <laughs> so what's been happening on the farm, Matt? It's... I've been seeing some of your dispatches. Yes, I, I noticed you've been looking at them. I or like to share them with been my sharing them Facebook with friends. friends. You have more friends than I do. <laughs> <sighs> If you could call them friends. <laughs> well, let's see what's been happening. We kind of had a thaw after having like a ton of snow. So I was having to get around on skis in order to do my my business that I do. Goodness me. Um, one thing lately that I've been doing that's been different is I've been uh, I've got this trail camera which I I set up at nighttime and I let it. It's got like an infrared capabilities so and take really? pictures of things at night is it motion sensitive <laughs> it's like been making me le- yeah well yeah and also when it you know when it senses the heat of the of our body <laughs> like that will trigger it too but it doesn't always trigger at the right time so i'm learning it's we use some of those in the norm <laughs> i know you did james you did we um, called it the instrumented battlefield 
it's been cracking me up. I don't know why, because most people don't think this kind, this kind of thing is funny. But somehow to think of a bunny hopping around in front of a camera at like one thirty in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> just like that is hilarious to me. Um, and I, I had, um, I, I was looking at some of the shots from the past few days because I, I just took the the SD card out of it and examined what footage I captured and there's this video that starts with just you don't see anything on you just see the ground you know and, th- and then all of a sudden the camera shakes a little bit and you hear this <laughs> and, then, and then there's like some fuzz that appears on the like <laughs> upper right hand part of the screen and it's like what the hell is this going to be you hear crunching and then you hear that you see the back of the head it's like the there's an animal rubbing its head on the microphones on on the camera stand uh, and and it, it turns out it's it's a deer the white-tailed deer it walks eventually right in front of the camera but it was just so funny it was like nuzzling up against the camera <laughs> <laughs> So I've gotten some hilarious pictures of deer and some of the gray fox running by. There's this one, at one point I set it up by where there were close to a a woodchuck hole, which woodchucks are still, you know, hibernating this time of year. But the rabbit will sometimes use a woodchuck hole. They don't go in that far, you know, all the way to where the woodchuck's chamber is. They just kind of go inside it a little ways. But so I left uh-huh. the camera on there to see the rabbit come in and out. And at one point, the fox came and checked out the rabbit hole. And then the fox runs away. And then later, a deer comes by and the deer checks out the rabbit hole. That's like, why, why is the deer checking out the rabbit hole? Well, it's because there is some fresh uh, dirt, you know, freshly turned up soil. So that got the deer interested. Sounds like when you're, you giving us the instructions to tie one of those knots. <laughs> yeah, follows, the deer falls, goes down to the rabbit hole, and comes out. And <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of... The if, Gordian knot. Yeah, 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 that's exactly what it is, Joe. I think you should put a card table out there and see if dogs sit around it. <laughs> Start playing <laughs> Start cards. Playing right. oh, that's a nice is idea. anyone looking? You know, these cameras are <laughs> often called game cameras. And they're used by hunters. They set them up by their tree stands to see what kind. Of, well, they're called trophy cams, actually. So, so hunters can get a view of their perspective kills. That's kind of despicable. But I'm trying to use mine for good. I'm not evil. There's been a, a fisher hanging around too, so I've been hoping to get a picture of him. I saw his footprints around today. It was kind of exciting. A fisher. And uh, and some, they're big weasely guys. So Yes. And the weasel family. And another member of the weasel family I saw footprints of today. That would be the, the ermine or short-tailed weasel. It's a short-tailed weasel, Joe. You can charm them with a didgeridoo. <laughs> yeah. They don't have weasels in <laughs> Australia, Joe. That's because they scat them away with the didgeridoos. <laughs> the you don't mar- really charm them. The marsupial equivalent of a weasel. That was our cricketers. <laughs> don't we call you Bruce just to keep it clear? <laughs> My name's Michael. 
Now puff this. <laughs> so what's been going on? Did you go to college yesterday? I went to college. How's college, Joe? College students protest marches. Not right. <laughs> Were you doing a protest march at your college? Yes. No, I was waiting outside the room to my uh, next class. Yeah. And uh, I was just hanging out with, you know, just kind of waiting there with some some youngish looking people. Everybody's younger than me there. I'm I'm Methuselah. Do they think Hello. you're the teacher? I'm Methuselah. <laughs> no, but I think the teacher is a student usually because uh, the teacher is like half my yeah. age. You just slap him up and say, get out of here, kid. Shut up, kid. <laughs> just shut up. Yo, shut up. Shut up, are you? <laughs> shut up, I'll fix you. Shut up, I'll fix stupid you. stupid kid. You're trying to teach me. Teach me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Have you taken you over the class? You two are all the same. Do nothing. <laughs> do nothing. <laughs> Did you try and take over the class yet, Joe? Yes, I rested it away from him. No. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> what did you learn today? I learned nothing. Oh, great. You have learned nothing. Oh, great. Well, tell me something interesting about linguistics, Joe. Well, Matt, it's a field methods course. What? It's a field methods course. Uh, fields methods? Field methods. Oh, okay. Eliciting gotcha. responses from an informant oh. in the anthropological sense. Interesting. Yes. So, are you going to try and wrestle up some informant now? <laughs> There's this lady from from actually from the Congo. What the hell is she doing now? <laughs> She's <laughs> our she informant. <laughs> well, she might be lost. <laughs> yes. If she helps us learn the language, then we get to tell her how to go home to her ripped apart country. Thanks to our help, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> I think we're giving something away here. Indeed. Yes. We're not giving anything away. Everything's for sale. I would like to talk about the different fam- families of languages, Joe. Okay. How many families of languages are there in the Americas for the indigenous Americans, that is, Native Americans? I believe there are hundreds. Yeah. That's kind of unusual. In both the Americas? It? Yeah. Uh, well, They're more in North America, I think, than in South. There's there's quite a few in South America. The pattern of distribution is 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 odd in the Americas, because usually it's usually there's a greater diversity where they believe the language first emanated from, mm-hmm. and then as as it goes out, yes. like there's right. like in in the Austro. Polynesian languages there's they actually came from they believe they came from Taiwan mm-hmm. and they propagated out and there's the uh, language of Madagascar is actually related to those to those languages mm-hmm. strangely yeah you, I know it's, it's, it's like they somehow made their way over there well but Malagasy was is, uh, is it thought that the reason why there's so many different so many families of languages in the americas because different migrations at different times yes because they um they st- i think the prevailing belief is still that they came over the bering strait and they went down even though some people have suggested that other things have happened but they think that people got overrun by subsequent mm-hmm. migrations because it's the the thinking would be 
you know, the thing that confuses people is that there isn't that much of a diversity up where they would have come over from the Bering Strait. Right, right. They would have thought that that would be where most of the diversity is, but most of it is, is actually quite a, quite a ways down mm-hmm. from there. But I imagine that could be caused by separation. We're probably getting too much in the weeds here. We're getting in the weeds. That's not Damn it, a, get out of the weeds. It's not an area of, that I have studied a great deal. Yeah, we'll get busy. Though I do have a lecture from John McWardle. <laughs> <laughs> you may laugh, but he is a linguist at Columbia. Oh, okay. And he's he's actually on on Chris Hayes' show a lot. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that name sounded yeah. John McWardle. That's a great. Yeah, name. I have a lecture. They you know the, you ever hear that uh, company called like Great Courses or something? Yep. They send me discs. Mm-hmm. Because apparently they know that I'm in a graduate program or something, uh, so they, they okay, try to so sell me. Sell. They try to sell me um, courses. Yep. They, they and, used to send us their catalog. Yeah. yeah, and they actually sent me a disc, and one of them was John McWardle talking about exactly what we were just talking about, which is um, the distribution of languages. I like that step. It's very interesting. To hear well, it was an interesting lecture. I can I can lend it to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear that. Yeah. Well, I think we've accomplished a lot today. We've accomplished quite a bit. Should we play some more music? <laughs> sure. What song do you want to play now, Joe? Well, let's play... <laughs> this is by the McWordle Five. It's called... Yeah, what if the Jacksons' name was the McWordles? <laughs> would they sue the would they they are <laughs> yeah. the Beatles right <laughs> decorated by the queen <laughs> the McCordles okay it's over now oh yeah I'll tell you something I think you understand. <laughs> so, uh, put the hand in the hand of the man who <laughs> stilled the waters. <laughs> Look, Nixon. <laughs> it's Nixon and the Agnew Singers. Are you listening, Agnew? <laughs> Did we play the song yet? Yes. Okay. Don't How you remember? It? How was it? It was great. Oh, good. We should play some of our live material that we have left over. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Well, maybe we'll do that. <laughs> Actually, we already sorry have. Sorry about this podcast. And sorry about Man Called Horse. <laughs> well, our live from Neptune disc is all live material. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that very well, though. So. Oh, we recorded it all all at once. Yeah, I, I know that. Yeah. I remember, oh, I know that. I remember doing it. I just don't remember what songs are on it. Uh, not very many. Do we have old Larry? Is that on there? Yes. Yeah. Well, we can play that. Let's play old Larry. You want to hear old Larry? <laughs> old Larry. But oh, we, yeah. we just played another song. Are we going to play another song? Or is this the is old Larry going to go in where the wordle? Oh, yes. Song. We did just hear old Larry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is terrible. Stop. Worst over. podcast ever.
Toying it off. Toying it off the radio. I'm proud to I say. I think you've got the name of this episode, Joe. It's called Toying it off the radio. Toying it off the radio. The January edition. Time for us to Time for us to Time for us to Yeah, it's definitely time for me to go. I'm having a drink, Joe. That's a drink, Matt. Joe gave me this whopping huge bottle of seltzer water. And it's very seltzer Hopefully it's non-alcoholic. There's a little bit of... Where's the scotch, Joe? (laughs) Where's the scotch? Give me the scotch. Whiskey. Whiskey. Okay, toying it off. Toying it off the radio. This thing's over. Done. Kaput. See you next month. Well, that's all we got. Hope you enjoyed our January show. We certainly did. Not sure if you can tell. Check us out at www.big-green.net. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Green Joe. You can also find us on Facebook someplace. Oh, God, we're all over the place. This is Big Green brought to you by I don't know who. I'm not sure. Um, no one in particular. Just thanks someone at random. Anyway. Bye now.